Paul to the Galatians. Chapter 1, our text this morning will be verses 6 through 10. I'll back up and read from the beginning of the the epistle just for some context. But our text will be Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Hear now the word of our God. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thus far, reading in God's holy, infallible and inerrant word, all flesh is as grass, its beauty is the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you by God's help will be preached. Please be seated. I hope none of you have ever had occasion to hear someone shout out, there's an active shooter. That sends a chill. Even in Texas, we're used to having people having guns here. We're used to people hunting here. We're not opposed to gun ownership per se. But there's something very deadly, very, very frightening about a man and a gun on a rampage, and it should stop us. And uh, of course the alarm goes out, and the community is alerted and the authorities are contacted, and all manner of people rush to see what might be done to intervene. An active shooter is a very dangerous thing. It's nothing compared to a false gospel. A gospel that has been corrupted, a gospel that is contradictory to the gospel that's received at the hands of the apostles, a gospel that has been twisted and morphed so that it now actually boasts in man, in flesh, rather than the glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is more frightening. It should be more frightening. An active shooter can kill the body. A false gospel will kill body and soul in hell forever. Paul is amazed. You'd think, having been converted from a false hope himself, that he would moderate his language a little bit. Because he himself was a persecutor of the church, and you will find that out soon enough. He, having the scriptures and reading the scriptures and praying the Psalms and doing everything that is prescribed by the the authorities in Jerusalem was completely on the wrong track 
And we'll explain why later as we preach through this series. But Paul is amazed that not one individual or several individuals and not one church, but a whole region of churches had been fooled, had been, had been bewitched, as it were. There'd been a spell or something come over there. What is wrong with these people? Christ had plainly been preached as crucified, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the righteous servant of God by whom we have righteous, righteousness and right standing before God, reconciling us to God, free gift. And then they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul had witnessed all of this in his first missionary journey through this whole region. And now this report, Paul, these people are falling dead left and right. What? Is there an active shooter? No, 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 no. Much worse. <laughs> Much worse, Paul. Paul, they have believed a lie. And they're staking their immortal destiny on something that will kill them and not give them life. And Paul was amazed. And we should be amazed. Because there's no greater fall, my friend, than one who falls from the throne of mercy all the way to the bottom of the abyss. Doubly a hypocrite. Doubly denouncing Christ. And perhaps some of you don't think that's possible. But Paul plainly says this is exactly what has been happening. We need to examine this. We need to, we need to be very careful as we read this epistle to the Galatians. We need to be in prayer. Because as I opened up in Scripture, uh, excuse me, in Sunday school this morning, that the days are evil and there are many, many false gospels. Hopefully we'll land on a few by application eventually. The teaching here this morning in this passage, verses 6 through 10, is as follows. To distort the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into any other gospel is to depart from God's grace, to leave Christ, and to serve men. And this is idolatry. This is, not, this is not a proper religion. This is a false religion. This is idolatry and blasphemy. Let me say it again. To distort the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into any other gospel is to depart from God's grace and to leave Jesus Christ and to serve men. And this is idolatry and blasphemy. There'll be four points to this preaching. Point one, false gospels. It's not a matter of losing salvation, merely. It, it, the, the problem here is that by receiving a lie and departing from the truth as it is in Christ, we leave Christ, we abandon Christ. Okay? We can be very, very wrong in a lot of things in religion, and most of us have, have very, far, very, very far to go before we can say we've got a, a perfect understanding of the Christian faith. That's not the issue here. The issue here is if we're basing on hope on something other than the finished work of the, of the God-man, then we have left Christ. Paul gets to the point right away in the letter. Usually, if you're a student of the New Testament, you'll see that he's got various greetings, customary thanks for the saints and their service, their prayers. We've heard of you and your service and your reputation goes out to various places. None of that. No commendations. No commendations. I mean, Paul is a very gracious man. You, you, you see how many friends he has in the various other epistles he writes. Or Romans, he, I mean, that, that whole 16th chapter could have been cut by two-thirds, but he keeps naming friends, you know. Now, come on, Paul, give me a break. No customary commendations to anybody. Not the elders, not the... Nobody. Paul expresses amazement, rather, at their desertion, their leaving the gospel, the abandonment of the gospel. 
the whole of the Galatian region of Asia Minor was in process of jettisoning the gospel. And that was quick. That was done very quickly. The Galatian epistle was one of the first ones to be, uh, have been written, and this was not there at far, that long after his missionary journey. So quickly had these churches been established. So quickly had they seemed to come to some, some maturation, and then what's happened here? But their desertion is not merely from the gospel, it's away from Jesus. He's the one who's called them, says Paul. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. So this is a personal thing with the shepherd of the sheep. This is a personal thing with the Lord Jesus. This is not an academic exercise to a seminary. This is personal. This is the Redeemer who had called them, called them. They heard a voice. He called them by his grace. This is one of the most important words in this epistle. The one who calls you is wanting to be gracious to you. He has favored. He has favored you. He has put you in a position of privilege. And he has embraced you into, into his own bosom and household. And this was not because you were good, but because he loved you and gave himself for you, a ransom for your sin. And he called them. He gave them his word, which is precious. And with his word, he, he gave them the Holy Spirit, which we'll read later, actually caused them to work wonders among them. And some of them had signs. And you can have all of this. And you can leave behind <laughs> the one who's called you by his grace. He called them by his word. He called them by his spirit through gospel preaching ministers. And now one of these ministers comes up, and now he's writing a letter. Paul, who initially preached the word and saw what the Spirit was doing to change in the lives, now has to address the situation. That's what ministers do. We just don't leave you with information. The ministers are shepherds. They're under shepherds, and they lead under Christ. False gospels abandon Christ, and the one and only gospel must be kept Pure. Now, please understand. If there were two Gospels, one for the Jew and one for the Gentiles, then Paul would not be writing. Paul has other things to do. But he is writing, and he's writing a very alarming letter because there are Jews that converted to Christianity that want to convert Christians back to being Jews. Now, that's what's going on. We'll find that out soon enough. And you might say, well, that's fine, because the Jews, you know, they have, they have a ladder, don't we? Don't we have a dual ladder? We have Jews. We have the nation of Israel now. They're, they're calling out to God. They know God, right? They know God. They're going up to God. And uh, so we have the Christian God. We have Jesus. And we have another ladder. It's a dual ladder, right? That means there's two hopes. That means there's two Gospels. And clearly, that's not what's going on here in this epistle at all. There's only one Gospel. The one and only Gospel, and this one must be kept. It must be kept pure. And there are fundamentals. There are some essential points to this gospel which will be considered. But the gospel is the very touchstone of the covenant of grace. If God has contracted his terms of peace and favor, there is one place where that declaration is firm, sealed in blood, and promised by him who cannot lie, nor can he change. And that is the covenant of grace, which is expressed to us today in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This one and only gospel must be kept pure and entire. My friends, apostasy, however, doesn't come as a sheer cliff. Most apostasy, uh, most apostasy comes by degrees. But even so, it can happen very quickly. And that's why Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. What I'm saying is we have to take heed. In our Christian walk, any debility, any weakening, any sin that 
is nourished and is uh, embraced, is not resisted, is sure to lead to more trouble, and that to more trouble. At, uh, on a chilly day, we can say it, it snowballs. And that's what sin does. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 No excuse me, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And these Galatians had plenty of reason, or temptation, not rather, temptation to think that they stood. They had received the gospel from Paul himself. They, they, had, they had worked uh, miracles, and they had sufficient teaching, and without, they're gaining more and more insight, now they think, into the law, the Old Testament scriptures. But the problem is, the teachers that were handling the Old Testament Scriptures were not understanding the Old Testament Scriptures, just as Saul of Tarsus was not understanding the Old Testament Scriptures, and they were drawing them in a direction opposite to where the Holy Spirit and Christ would lead. Apostasy occurs by decrees. But no one's going to deny Christ, or no one's going to deny the favor and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, except through Degrees of hardening, degrees of compromise, degrees of boasting, de degrees of uh, den not denying oneself, not not denying the cross, uh, uh, not taking up the cross, etc. And so you take heed, especially as Presbyterians, because uh, honestly, guys, I think we've got it as as far as what's what's in print. I, we got it better. We got it together better than anybody in the world. In the history of the whole of the Christian religion, I've never seen such a corpus of beautiful, right doctrine. It's gorgeous. Take heed. It doesn't mean a thing if we don't love the Lord, if we're not loving neighbor, if we're not putting to death the sins of the body daily. Take heed. A counterfeit gospel then had first corrupted and then later replaced the true gospel in Galatia. It seems like Paul is saying that that, that was uh, done. It's a done deal. Now, you keep in mind that the gospel is all of unconditional love and all of unconditional grace to his elect. Because the covenant of grace is unconditional to Christ. Excuse me, the gospel of grace, yeah, is, is unconditional in Christ. And Christ has met all all the conditions of the covenant of grace, and he applies it to his elect. So that really, uh, it, the, the proposition from God in terms of a, of a covenant establishing hope for the future, righteousness and peace, it, it, it does not get any better. All the terms of the covenant of salvation are met. To put it in, uh, in the terms of the parable, the feast is prepared. The fattened calf is slaughtered. We've got the table set. We've got our best linen out here, and we've got silver, not plastic utensils. So come. It's all ready for you. That's what the covenant of grace announces. It's what Christ has done for his people. It declares what Christ is, is still doing. That is to say, after the Holy Spirit works faith in his elect, he he then further sanctifies them. He gives them the knowledge of his person. He reveals his covenant in them. Or as Paul says, the Lord the Father revealed Christ in him. <laughs> what an expression. We'll see what that means in the future. It's likened to this feast, the sin debt. I can't get in. I can't afford this state dinner. I, I, I... No, 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 no. Your sin debt is paid. We're not going to hold anything against. Oh, yeah, I know you were enemies against I know you didn't belong in this palace. I know, you, I know you didn't belong in this kingdom before. I know you were enemies with God. I know. But no, no, we're, that's all done. We, we forgive all this. Come, sit down. The king wants to meet with you at the table. Everything is ready. The sin debt is paid in full. The duty of all obedience. Well, I'm trying to be a Christian. Christ is the Christian. And you are acceptable on that table in the fullest terms of any son that has ever been adopted because in Christ you are as righteous 
in the eyes of the Father as Christ is. That is to say, Jesus the man, not Jesus the Son of God, because he's the holy, the holy God. But as the God-man, Jesus, his righteousness is yours, and he's your head, and you're, if you're a Christian, you're in union with him and the Holy Spirit. And so all of that is also paid in full. You have full merit standing. No one's going to look bad at you. No one's going to look down at you in this, in this feast. Earth and heaven must acknowledge that you are a welcomed guest because Jesus, who is the king having all authority in heaven and earth, has announced it. And so has the apostle in this gospel. Faith is, is given to you as a gift. Regeneration. You must be born again. How, how can I, am I going to, do I go back into my mother's womb? Is that what regeneration means? No. It's being made over by the Holy Spirit. A brand new identity. Repentance is yours. All gifts and especially all graces. All graces are yours and given. Not one item. Not one thing here is available to you or is had and owned by you by your merit. Not one thing. Even when you're, even when you're striving to repent, the power to repent is of the Holy Spirit God gives you. Even as you're struggling to learn the Bible and study it, the ability to read and, to, and the light of your understanding is of the Holy Spirit. That's also given to you. Sanctification, wisdom, righteousness, redemption, all is yours in Christ. That's the gospel. It doesn't get any better than that. The gospel, however, must be believed to benefit unto salvation. Okay? And so, in the visible church, the elect are sure to uh, come to faith because God, who is omnipotent and he is sovereign, and he does whatever he wills, and he will be sure to draw that person irresistibly to himself and grant him faith and repentance and everything else. But that salvation, as far as you, a person hearing the gospel, is conditional upon the hearer believing the gospel, receiving Christ by faith. Now, you are to do that, even as Christ helps you and the Holy Spirit helps you, but you must do it. And if you don't do it, then you are not effectively or effectually called by God. That conditionality, however, as I mentioned, is sovereign, and uh, it is graciously fulfilled in every respect in every one of God's children. That, that is all done either for you or in you by God and the grace of the gospel. Non-elect persons those that are not predestined, but they are foreordained unto wrath. They hear the gospel. And though they may have some movements, and that they may have some interests, and they may hear some things, you, they, they hear about the historical resurrection. They see the miracles, and they benefit from healings. Uh, they may even preach in Christ's name, as uh, we found out in our preaching from Matthew 7. But the Lord at the last day will say, hey, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. How, how, is it, how is it that one could be preaching the gospel or preaching in the name of the Lord, I should say, I'll correct myself, preaching in the name of the Lord and not really know the Lord? Well, just from what's happening here in Galatia. You can name the Lord Jesus and not know what you're doing. Because you're not resting in him as your righteousness, as your wisdom and redemption. You are still doing something for which you hope to be recompensed. And if that something is to the least degree takes away from the glory of Christ, then the gospel has added works to it. It is a mixed and perverted gospel. And rather than face the Lord and his approbation and, and a pleasure, he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. 
You never rested. You never died with me in my death. You never, you never ascended with me with my resurrection. You never, you never took delight in all that I did for you. But you had to have some glory, right? You had to have some glory. Non-elect persons will mimic the gospel gifts to the point where you can't tell, you can't tell the difference in a church. Uh, the disciples couldn't tell the difference between the hypocrites, Sadducees, and Pharisees and, 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 the, true, and the true walk and, until the later, you know, when they received the Holy Spirit, then they had all discernment. When they were fully schooled, they, they could see plainly what was going on, but before that, everything was a, a blur. Non-elect persons will mimic gospel gifts and they will mimic gospel graces for a time. But they never really have union with Christ. They never, the, the Father and the Son never truly reside in them. They never are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ has never really formed in them. And that's the danger of hypocrisy, and that's why we preach gospel, the gospel of Matthew. It has a great deal to say about that, and that's why we preached it as it ought to have been preached. Close. Because hypocrisy is a killing disease. A counterfeit gospel then mixes some, some foreign features, something that doesn't belong to grace, something that doesn't belong to Christ, something that doesn't boast in Christ. Elements of human works. Traditions that were not given by God or necessarily derived from the Word of Scripture. Traditions that contradict the Word of God. Traditions that confuse grace as something less than pure grace. Elements of Old Testament ceremonial law. I said, I said, elements of Old Testament ceremonial law. You, you, you know, the Christian church very early began to Judaize and, and, and bring in altars and incense and candles and costumes for their priests and different statuses and their different offices and The church was Judaized in the West, and then it was paganized. And that's most of Christianity today. And, so, and, and the evangelicalism today is in the thresholds of being reduced to secular humanist with a, with a slightly Christian flavor. We're losing, we're losing the gospel. We're losing Trinity. And we're being entertained by a lot of people who love the Old Testament. Elements of human origin, tradition, not scripture, especially at worship. People, oh, no, the regular principle of worship. Ah, another Puritan. The Bible regulates all of life. What makes you think this is a sanctuary that's exempt from regulation? And especially when we draw near to God, should we not be the most, the most careful about what we're doing? If we want to worship him, shouldn't we aim to please him? And how do we want to please him except that we do what he says to do in his presence? But people fight that. And they'll add to that. Or they'll remove to it. Why? Well, if we did this, there's nobody coming. And who's going to come to this church? Who's going to come here? Where are the kettle drums and the trumpets and the 50-foot Christmas tree? All fleshy elements are dangerous. And if it gets to the point, my friends, I'm not saying that you can't decorate the sanctuary with Christmas tree. But if it comes to you staying in a church or leaving a church because of a 40-foot Christmas tree, that's an idol. And you're falling into the apostasy. Yes, it's a partial apostasy. You need to consider your ways. 
A counterfeit gospel mixes some foreign features with the essential worship and the essential hope of the Christian. Point number two, false gospels trouble the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The bride likes pure company. If she starts keeping company with whores, it's going to go badly. False gospels trouble the church. There is no other gospel, not to the Jew and not to the Gentile. The purity, the unity, and the peace of the church will be lost. There is no... The, mo the most you can hope with is a, is a strained truth, an embarrassing, and a, an awkward truth, as, uh, an awkward truce in the church where there is really no peace. So people just basically, they come in to file out. They don't really interact. They just, let's just not talk about doctrine. Let's not talk about the purity of the gospel, whether there is such a thing as un un unconditional election and things like that. There must be some human, there must be some, some human boasting and there's something that we must do or not do. And I don't want to talk about it. So they leave it on the table, and people never come to rest comfortably. And with that, the tax is, of course, the loss of assurance and false worship and the danger, the danger of, of apostasy. A compromised gospel, you already have a partial apostasy because Christ is not with any church that has finally departed. There are churches that are in partial apostasy. It happens very, very quickly. Uh, in the history of the Western Church, what happens basically is that the purity of the gospel is compromised by some element of human work. The church wakes up by, to the scandal and they say, "No, no, 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 we're no, we we're born in original sin. We're not Pelagian. What have we done? Ever, the whole world is wrong." One man corrects. Athanasius stands up and says, "No, no, 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 no," or, or, or Augustine stands up and says, "No, no, 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 no," you know. We get back on the right track, and then they lapse again into a hybrid flesh-spirit type of gospel, a hybrid manly boasting a ha with, with a handful of Jesus as well. Let's throw in some saints to intercede. Pagan. Christ is not with any church that has finally departed from the gospel. That's, that, 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 that. That's not to say that he can't recover them. We should be praying for churches that have apostatized. He can go to them anew, but as far as him meeting on a covenant basis, they've broken covenant. No gospel then, no Christ. No Christ, then there's no peace in the church. No Christ, there's no wisdom to the leadership. There's no righteousness, no love. Not really. There's no growing in sanctity in Christ-likeness, in self-sacrifice. There's no boldness to the witness. There, there, there's no interest in prayer. And missions get the guy in a plane and throw him overseas. That's our mission. We don't do missions here. This is a church. We're not missionaries. That's what happens, my friends. When you lose track of what the Great Commission really says, and what is involved. But if you have Christ, then you have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and a full redemption. Why? Because you have the resident teacher. We don't dare call anyone else our teachers. As long as we have Christ, and we have him by faith, through grace, and it's not of our own doing. It's all his doing. And if we lean on him in that way, and lean into his bosom and say, Lord, I know what you do, what you teach, and what you call us to do is difficult, but we have no other teacher. We have no other shepherd. We must follow you, so help us. Grant us grace. Forgive us when we don't understand. Forgive us, but help us not to deny you and your glorious redemption. Help us not to de deny your salvation, but help us to give you all the glory. We need to be praying for the restoration and the reformation of all apostate churches. And there are a great many from uh, near apostolic times, churches that have existed over a thousand years. 
that have no, no, I, if they were here this morning, they would not understand much of what I was saying. They would not. It's as if they, they had never read the epistle to Galatia. And some of those churches were in Galatia a very long number of years. We need to pray for the restoration, the reformation of all apostate churches and the recovery of all partially apostatized churches, that they might come to the full understanding of the, of the glorious gospel, of the covenant-keeping Jesus Christ, his merits, his obedience, and his perfect satisfaction for sin on the cross. They need to understand that. And how everything else spills out from Christ, the administrator of the covenant of grace, to the elect sovereignly, irresistibly, and savingly. We need to pray not to be reformed. We're not praying for a reformation in that sense that they all become reformed Christians. We're praying that Christ return to them. That's what we're praying. Because if Christ is with his church, he will lead them into these things. And that's proven over and over in the, New Test in the Old Testament. You can see it plainly in their history. And you can see it if, you're, if you've got the right books. You can see it happening even in the New Testament. There are men that raise up and they, they, they return to Scripture. They try to correct the churches. The churches are stubborn. They keep it up. The Lord helps the humble servant. They gain some disciples. And then the official churches usually either persecute or they reform. That's how it usually goes. Or persecute and reform. That happens as well. But we need to pray. If <laughs> We need to learn to esteem and love what God really truly loves best. And there's nothing that God loves more in the world than his church. If you're not praying for the church, you don't have the mind of Christ. If you're not praying for the purity and the unity of the church and its peace, you don't understand. You haven't come to appreciate what God really esteems, what Christ is really looking for. But when you pray according to the will of God and delight him in your prayers, he will answer your prayers. He will always do his will. We need to be praying for churches and not just for ourselves. Point number three, false gospel invokes God's curse. It doesn't matter who's telling you this. It could be a highly, highly degreed person with a, a very tall hat and a fancy robe and candles all around him. A big chair, painted ceilings, vaulted ceilings. Doesn't matter. Any apostle or any number of apostles, including Paul, that should somehow in the future pervert this gospel, let him be accursed. Paul repeats it. Are you kidding me? Did you really write that? Check that Check that writing again. Is that manuscript right? He repeated it. He's calling for curses. Curses, we're blessed. No, you're not. He's announced grace and peace to you, but that's conditional upon you being God's people. This is not, a, uh, this is not an unconditional love where anything goes. You've got to meet the condition of true faith and resting in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any apostle, any number of apostles that have a different gospel, even Paul, let him be accursed. Any messenger. And Paul says even a holy angel, now he ups the ante. Because you know there's, there's a one or two churches that, oh, they have visions, don't they? Oh, they even have statues that weep every once in a while. They shed a tear. Oh. Now, of course God is working miracles, so it's, it shows you that this church must be the true church because this statue sheds tears. Oh, we saw a vision. It looked a lot like Mary. Who knows what Mary looks like? Does anybody know what Mary looks like? But Mary shows up, an angel from heaven, and announces a different gospel. If you will pray this, if you will wear this scapula, then upon your deathbed, your sins will be venial. That's a different gospel. I used to wear a scapula. I was Roman Catholic. That's a different gospel. Let them be accursed. False teachers that corrupt the gospel are anathematized. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Anyone who adds to these words, God will add to him the plagues 
the punishments of this of the book of Revelation, which is it pictures the abyss, guys. If anybody detracts from the words of Scripture, because this whole thing is one word. You talk about the gospel, but it's one thing. You take away anything from this thing, God will remove from you the pleasures of paradise. You will not eat of that bountiful tree of life. You will not taste of the living waters. You will not see the glory. In other words, you're doomed. You're accursed. That's what belongs to the false teachers. And of course, Paul repeats it. And this is a warning. The gospel comes with promise, and the gospel comes also with a warning of imprecation. My friends, an anti-gospel church, any church that persecutes those who preach the pure gospel is an anti-Christian church. And if they have another head that's not the, the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's an anti-Christ church. Yeah. These churches are far worse off than a pagan people that had never heard the gospel. Because to be post-Christian is a much more dangerous thing than to be non-Christian. You've got seven devils in this house. It's going to be hard to clean house. You're doubly accursed. You're cursed by Adam's sin. The ground is cursed by you. And now you're cursed from falling from Christ. Finally, a false gospel glorifies man and not God. Paul is not hoping to please man. Paul is hoping to please God. He says so right here. And if the source of the gospel is not from God and his purity, but is from man, even though the attempt is made in naming some features of the Christian religion, yet it is not the gospel. You cannot say, well, it has some features of what Christ taught. Is it not Christian? If the source of the gospel is from man, it's designed to please men. Men can only contrive false gospels. God can only harmonize all the pure gospel perfectly. God is the source of the gospel. The gospel pleases men because they delight in God and the Spirit. It pleases men in that way. It's pleasant to please, to please God. It's pleasant to walk with the Lord. That's not what's meant. What's meant is who receives the glory. Paul seeks to please God. God called him through Jesus Christ. When he was a persecutor of the very people that he's trying to help now, he was in, in the place of those troublers of the church in Galatia before. But God called him. God uh, Paul then denies that his purpose is to please or glorify men. And he's not in it for himself either. He's in it because God's glory is at stake. That is to say, the truth of who God really is. The gracious God, forgiving sin, forbearing, give, giving men all the righteousness that they need out of his great bounty mercy, of mercy in Christ. He's willing to forgive all, even violent persecutors as such as Saul of Tarsus. And this is a gracious thing, and it cannot, it cannot be better. It cannot be bested unless someone tries because he doesn't understand the gospel. If you understood the gospel, you would understand that it doesn't get any better, and you would glorify God with grateful heart and sing praises. It's only when we do not understand anything of the essential work of Christ's person and work that we pervert it, showing ourselves that we never had the resident teacher of Christ nor of his Holy Spirit. Because that spirit will always, having the mind of God, will always lead us to glorify God. Therefore, my friends, false gospels are idolatrous. They blaspheme God and they condemn. My friends, as humans, as sinful men and women, we are called to deny self, not to boast, not to glorify and, and, and max, out, max out on our interests in this life. We are to mortify 
all sin and selfishness, pride, sensuality. And we are to glorify God and honor him in his truth in Christ through faith and resting upon him and receiving him in the gospel. And we are to obey him because he is Lord. And so have you resolved this? Have you, are, are, you, are you resolved? Do you understand that this is the only way with God? Let me conclude. To proclaim or to believe a false gospel is to depart from God's grace, to abandon Christ, and to serve men. It's to blaspheme God and to become accursed. One forfeits all hope of salvation by holding to a false gospel. There is no hope. There is no hope in a false gospel. Now, the threat of apostasy is real, and Paul, uh, his alarm should wake you up. Just be careful. There are many perversions of the gospel out there. And uh, any religion that has the smell of flesh and boasting and riches, the prosperity gospel, garbage like that, that boasts in men for righteousness and salvation. Without understanding the law of God rightly, men will not consider themselves sinful. Without understanding the law is what you, what you get is Phariseeism, Sadduceeism. If you understand the law rightly, you will understand that it convicts of sin. The law must, be, must accompany the gospel preaching. Otherwise, people start believing that they're, oh, now that we're Christians, we're keeping the law. And the law is, is a, it's, it's no longer a consideration of mine. But the law is there to help you remember that we need Christ more than ever. The more you understand the law, the more you realize that we really are debtors to God's grace. Men will not consider themselves sinful, and they will never sense the need for a perfect righteousness if the law is not preached from American pulpits. I blame ministers. I condemn ministers. The law is not being preached. Law must accompany gospel proclamation. You've heard the gospel plain and simple. The law says you are to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Neighbor is self. And you show that by keeping the Lord's day, for instance. That's the law. Who, could, who dares, who dares say that today? Have you abandoned all hope of standing before God by any innate goodness in yourself? Any. Do you think you have something to commend yourself to God? And you yourself? Or are you seeking a reward by merit? Your merit combined with God's help? That's, a, that's not a sure hope. That's a false hope. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ is your righteousness. All of it. So receive that and be grateful and then express your gratitude and obedience. How do you know obedience? Well, you have the law of God. Follow that out of a grateful, grateful heart that you are already saved. And repent. Whoa, when was the last time we heard that? Yeah, continual repentance, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace, says our catechism. And that needs to be said. That is part of denying the flesh. That is, that is a constant reminder, my friends, that we have no boast, a no boasting strategy, because I today must not boast, but rather I must repent because my works have not been fulfilled as righteous before the eyes of God. No. Paul will later say in this epistle, we in the Spirit 
That is to say, we Christians, or we apostles, we who all have the hope of of life, we in the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We are not in the Spirit, by faith, attaining anything. We are waiting for it. There are many false gospels in the world today. Can you, can you name three? If you can't, you need to read my last, uh, last week's uh, writing on gospel, counterfeit gospel, true gospel. True gospel and counterfeit gospel. Read it. They're prevalent and they're common. How would you correct them? You need to teach your children to beware of false gospels. And how will you do that unless you know what a false gospel is? Do you, do you see the glory and, and, and the goodness of God in presenting us Christ as a full and free salvation? You see, do, does that thrill you? Does, is that a joyful noise? That God has called you by his grace and that you would not, it would sadden you beyond any number of tears if you left such a good Savior That's where you need to be. That's the place of security, where you, with Paul, can not only lament, uh, uh, be amazed, but lament the poverty, the spiritual poverty, the, the spiritual danger of your friends, of your companions, of other people that think they're Christian, but they're not. They're not at all. That's the safe place to be, to be pained as Paul is, when the church has left the gospel. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Do these attributes fit you? They should fit every Christian. Are you in or are you out? Are you in and resting in Christ in the covenant of grace? However much you struggle to mortify sin, know that Christ has dealt sin a death blow on the cross and his victory over it, he's ascended into heaven And there, he administers this gospel grace to all nations. He will return to judge the world in righteousness in the last day. For those who have placed their trust on him and him alone, he awards their inheritance, which is himself, his righteousness. To all those who are confused, he leaves behind. So my friends, believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel. It doesn't get any better than this. So don't add to this recipe of salvation. It's already perfect. The feast is is yours. And so you can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, giving thanks to him. This is the spirit of all who know God truly in Christ, who know him because they know and own and have the true gospel. And for this we must contend. And we will contend as ministers and as elders, as Christians. We will contend for the gospel to the last day of earth because the Lord Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Lord, now we pray that you would seal this sermon with your approbation by giving us peace, by giving us rest, by giving us joy, by, Lord, imparting more of your spirit to us that we might truly be walking more and more in Christ-likeness. And that by this we know that we have Christ when we have all of these things. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's have an offering, please.